I remember the the one thing that really resonated with me was the transportation and that when air travel stopped, you walk outside and there's planes and helicopters and things go by us every day. And the one thing I remember is just it was a quiet sky. That day changed the world for everybody the way we knew it. It's 8.52 here in New York. I'm Brian Gumble. We understand that there has been a plane crash on the uh, southern tip of Manhattan. This just in, you were looking at a, obviously a very disturbing live shot there. That is the World Trade Center, and we have unconfirmed reports this morning. Right. Oh, my God. Another plane has just hit, it hit another building. The World Trade Center, both towers gone, and we are all witnesses to it, and to some degrees, degree, we are all victims. Today our nation saw evil, the very worst of human nature, and we responded with the best of America. What were you doing on September 11th, 2001? What do you remember about that day? For current Chapel Hill Fire Chief Matt Sullivan, that day began like many others. He went to work and then to coach football. In the days and weeks after though, he remembers how people all across the country came together in a way like he'd never seen before. One thing I do remember is it was, at least in my experience, unprecedented community sort of rallying together to support each other. I remember people lining up to give blood, um, not only here, but across the country folks would line up to give blood. Welcome to Well Set the official storytelling podcast of the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. On today's episode, we'll reflect on the 9-11 attacks, and Matt will discuss the work he did after the attacks to support the emergency responders in New York City. After Matt graduated from Carolina in 1989 with a political science degree and received a master's degree in social work eight years later, he served the town of Chapel Hill in many different roles. In the late 90s, he was working with the police department, and he joined a team that helped first responders across the region handle the stresses of traumatic events. He went with that team to many events around North Carolina, like fatal car crashes or other accidents. There's a lot of triggering incidents that would trigger a critical incident stress reaction and respond to the there's no recipe, so it really is individual-specific, but we know there are certain events that will drive up the stress in a responder, and so that team was on call, remains on call for any agency in our area that experiences a traumatic incident. One of the interventions possible is to call a team out to do a debriefing. Shortly after the attacks on September 11th, this critical incident stress management team was called to work with responders at the World Trade Center. What was different about the Trade Center site was we did it for like 14 hours a day. A team from North Carolina went up within days of the attacks. Matt was part of the relief team that arrived in New York City on September 22nd. This relief team and four other teams from other states stayed in a fire station north of New York City in a town called Summers, New York. We'd leave the staging area 6 or 6.30 in the morning. The National Guard had transportation, some kind of, I don't know if it was a Humvee, but it was some sort of transportation vehicle the National Guard had. We piled into that, and then we 
went south to the city. They had blocked the highways to allow transportation for the emergency vehicles and stuff. So it was a quick, it was probably the quickest ride ever into New York City from Summers, New York. And we spent our days walking around the Trade Center operation, interacting with first responders during their breaks or as they did work, just to check on them, provide an ear. So that was more of the informal connections, and we spent most of our time doing that. And then part of the critical incident stress management model involves what they call a diffusing or a debriefing, where there's a more focused group activity where people come together in a room and talk about what they're experiencing, sort of to sort of percolate out some of the emotion and stress reactions that they're having. And it helps normalize that experience across a group of responders. One of the things that first responders deal with sometimes is after they experience a traumatic incident, they experience what are normal critical incident stress reactions. And the culture, whether it's law enforcement or the fire service or emergency management, is that well, we signed up to do this job and we shouldn't you know, we're supposed to help people, and so we shouldn't be having these reactions. And these are normal reactions to really abnormal events that go on in the world. And without some attention and focus and really strong self-care or some sort of care provided, they can leave lasting scars on the responder that affect all other dimensions of their life. The debriefing, the diffusing, the one-on-one interactions were a way to help those who were in the midst of that chaos, and experiencing some of the most horrific exposures you could experience, some respite. Matt spent a lot of time in those group sessions, and back in Summers, New York. But most of his time was spent walking the Trade Center site. It was huge. It was blocks, city blocks. We walked and we interacted with folks that were working or taking breaks and checked on them, told them they were loved and supported, and, you know, what do you need? And so the the typical questions you'd think you'd ask in in a situation like that, I remember one of my earliest trying to create some sort of connection to rapport is, uh, so how you doing, right? (laughs) How do you think I'm doing? I'm looking, I'm in the worst, the worst day of my life, and so I quickly changed that. We carried some candy and some snacks and some water, and that was always welcome, because the responders were working, I mean, 16, 18, initially 20 hours a day. And they finally got into some rotation, but there were some folks that were working there that wouldn't, wouldn't leave. They just kept on working. And so we provided a little bit of an ear. We provided information. Sometimes we could bring information. They were getting information from the team leaders that they had, but we could bring in other information Some of them hadn't been outside the perimeter. Of course, we didn't have the cell phones and the iPads and things the other day. So news came through either word of mouth or a radio. So we could provide some news and information. And then we could encourage them to take care of themselves. I think I did my best social work ever at that trade center site. And I didn't have an office and a desk and there was no air conditioning. And it was um, environmentally really horrific place, but I did I did my best social work there. And so sometimes we get caught up in, well, I need all these special books and I need all my tools and my computer. And really the essence of helping is being there with somebody and walking the journey with them. You can't fix anybody, but you can 
be there with them and help them walk their journey. Matt remembers the horrors of September 11th, 2001. But what sticks with him more was how he was able to see the best of humanity in the weeks after the attacks. Folks coming together and folks rising up out of tremendous pain and damage. To think about what those responders in New York City did, the responders who died in the Trade Center, they were the hard chargers, man. I mean, that's why they were there. They trained for it, and in a matter of a morning, their whole world got turned upside down. And for them to rise up and take the tools they had, damaged, tore up, missing whatever they had, and applying it, try to make an impact and rescue their brothers and sisters, that was powerful. They stood in, too, weeks and weeks of, of working and hanging in there and making a difference. That was powerful. And the support from the community also. One of the things that will always resonate about my experience in that September was that we didn't have to worry about eating. We got fed really well anywhere we went. Um, there was food and water, and there's plenty of food at the at the staging area. One day we'd worked really hard. I think we were on like our 13th or 14th hour and ate a meal in the city. We got back in the, the National Guard or whatever, riding in, and they took us back to the staging area, and a group of elders from down the street from the fire department had cooked us Thanksgiving in September. And I, Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. And it was like, that was like some spiritual connection because I walked in this turkey and cranberries and one of the guys like, we already ate. I said, no, we're, we're eating again, man. <laughs> because, uh, because these people need it too. You know, these people need to connect with something, but the support in the place we stayed, the stage area, there were hundreds and hundreds of, letters from school kids across the country. Um, took some of them at night. Part of my wind down was I'd write responses to them. And then when I got back, I mailed the responses off to the, because everybody was hurting. It wasn't just the folks who lost somebody in the law enforcement and the firefighters in New York City. The whole country was hurting. Matt spent two weeks in New York City as part of that critical incident stress management team. He came back to North Carolina in October, but he returned to New York City in June of 2002. So when I left the first time after the September-October deployment, it was a lot of stuff still undone. It was abrupt. I mean, there was still a strong recovery presence going on there, so we were shuttled in and shuttled out, and I never got a time to decompress. The June deployment in in addition to being able to help additional people, it also gave me an opportunity to sort of breathe and try to put things together in a way that made sense. When he left New York City in 2002, Matt said he was never going back. But a few years ago, he did return to the World Trade Center site. I sat there for a while and contemplated my life. It brought back all kinds of memories. I found that to be a really therapeutic, deep spiritual experience to be able to sit and be in that space in a different time. And of course, buildings were being built, 
and the memorial had been built. Some folks have been down to that museum. I don't have any need to go to the museum. I got enough memories of what I saw and experienced and did there. I don't need a museum. It was more about just me trying to put all the pieces back in my head in a way that made sense. Throughout all of his service in New York City, Matt continued to serve the town of Chapel Hill. In January 2020, Matt will retire after 32 years of service. I've had some wonderful, wonderful experiences and wonderful opportunities. I've had great mentors and coaches and people who took an interest in me that really, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for that. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the great work of all my teammates and the folks I work with at the Chapel Fire Department. And I've definitely seen and experienced some things I wish I hadn't, but I'm better off for it to be in some of the places, particularly that, that, um, that two or three blocks in New York City is and was sacred space. To be able to serve in that space and serve others is a, it's an honor. As Matt prepares to move forward toward his future retirement, September 11th is a time for him to look back and reflect. It's something he does on every anniversary of the attacks by climbing the stairs at Keenan Stadium. Matt and other members of the Chapel Hill community memorialized the 110 flights of stairs that responders took on that day in trying to fight the fires at the World Trade Center and rescue people there. It's 2,076 steps, the same number of steps that were in each of the towers. I used that morning to reflect. I spent a lot of time sort of thinking back. I can readily go back and connect to that time. Time really resonates with me on a number of levels. I also use that time to think about those, the bravest, who jumped in, some probably knowing what their fate was going to be that morning, but did the job. That's a model. That's a model any responder needs. That's what we sign up for eventually is that we sign up for the fact that if a day comes when I might lose my life to save a life, that's part of the job. It's not that we want that to ever happen, but it helps to, it helps to remind us of that. So this year I've been thinking about a lot of so those left behind from a nuclear family place, right? So there's, there's people and kids that are now graduating from high school that lost a parent. And that's not just a responder parent. There's a lot of kids that never knew a parent. A lot of businesses that never saw leaders. They were alumni from this campus that lost their lives that day. And um, so those left behind, we got to remember them and the sacrifice that their loved one made or the family member they lost, that changed their life trajectory forever and they're forever changed. And so on that morning, they're probably thinking about their experience that day. Makes me think about the resilience of community. It's a sort of a soulful experience and It's a way to demonstrate solidarity with with the responders that are lost. Thank you for listening to this episode of Well Said. See you next week.